I'm really glad that you guys are here at the very first ever Sunday gathering of Redemption Church. Yeah? Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, I am, I'm so honored. I'm humbled to be with you today. And, uh, again, we, we, we chose these songs, uh, these passages of scripture to remind us, uh, even what we've done so far is that we are really here not to make a big deal about us, but to make a big deal about Jesus. Okay. Uh, and so we're going to continue to do that. Lord, Father, we come to you so grateful for the chance to be uh, together. God, as, as Southway hasn't been in one service for some time, and then as, as, as we've never worshipped together as Redemption Church, Lord, we recognize this is a different kind of Sunday, let alone the air conditioner blasting and, and, and the grass under our feet and the tent over our heads. God, this is a strange day. Um, but we were just constantly reminded this week as we've been working through all the logistics, uh, this is not the first time you've decided to use a tent. Um, and so, Lord, we are grateful that uh, you can use this moment, this, uh, this effort, this gathering um, to, to show us your glory. And we ask that you would. We ask that you would make this gathering matter, not just... Not just uh, for us to have a, a service that works, but that our hearts would be changed. That we'd be encouraged. That we'd be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And that it wouldn't stop with us, but that it would overflow into our neighborhoods and workplaces. Our children, our extended family, God. That, that more and more men, women, and children in our city would come to see Jesus because of what you're doing here in us and through us. We ask for your help now as we get into your word, as we uh, look at your scriptures, God. Would you bring clarity and transformation? Would you bring help? There are so many opportunities for distractions now, and we just ask that you would say something meaningful to us in these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, this is this is good to see you guys. Like I'm, I'm just like taking this in for a second. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that uh, you don't have to stand up, sit down there, and hear me uh, say things that I think. Um, God has not left us as a people who uh, have to guess at who He is or make up things about Him. He's given us His Word. And so uh, if you want to, to follow along with the sermon, we're going to be in John chapter 5 for the majority of the gathering. But while you're turning there, I want to ask a couple of questions that are kind of basic questions. And, and the questions are things that we spend our whole lives working on. And it's really what do we want? I'm a parent and I have, uh, I have a good number of kids. And... One of the things that we have to ask often in our house is, what do you want? And often they, they're not sure, you know. Sometimes they know all too well what they want and they can't have it at the moment. Sometimes they know just what they want and we are privileged to give it to them. Um, we spend our lives figuring out what it is that we most deeply want. What, what is driving us? What's pushing us forward? And then we start looking for it. 
wherever we think we can find it. When we sort of get an idea of, man, I want this thing. I want to, to feel accepted or I want to feel safe or I want to feel important. And then we spend our lives going after it, looking for it. And, and the reality is, apart from Jesus, all of our looking, all of our searching, all of our, all of our efforts will be disappointing. They won't be enough. We're going to still be hungry. We're going to feel what, what some theologians have referred to as a, a homesickness of the soul. That we get homesick for something we don't even know. And, and Paul Gold, I'm reading a book called Cultural Apologetics. Thanks for the recommendation, Sean and Jason, wherever you are. And, and Paul Gold says this. He says, there is a kind of restlessness and unease to life in a disenchanted world. We long for something more, even as we are told there is nothing beyond. The universe feels haunted. That something presses within and upon us. These stirrings inside of us jar us. They offer us the promise of hope and redemption. They point to a power beyond the world that can, and hope against hope will, make things right one day. This world has more going on in it than we can see. Our hunger points to a deep longing that only God can satisfy. The problem that we're facing is that we're all hungry for God. We're feasting on air. I, I recently showed, um, showed my kids Hook. Who's seen like the 90s Peter Pan Hook? Okay, some of you have seen it. Uh, Robin Williams played Peter, uh, a grown Peter Pan. And there's this great scene where at the end of a long day, he'd been working out. They've been trying to get him in shape to be Peter Pan again. And he's so tired and he's so hungry. And they're bringing out these covered jars. And he's like smelling. He's so excited about eating. And then they open it up to eat. And all what, what, what happens? There's nothing there. All the pans are empty. And, he's, and he looks with horror as all the kids are pretending to eat and they're, 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 they look so happy, so satisfied. They're eating and eating, and he doesn't see the food. Just, it's just air, and he's like, "How how can you, how can you do this? Where's the real food?" And it's not satisfying to him. And I think I think that's a lot of what we do is we try to satisfy ourselves with things that won't satisfy us. We try to find meaning and purpose and joy in things that weren't designed in and of themselves to give them to us. And so where should we look for the things that we're most hungry for? And I'll tell you, I think we're most hungry for two things. When, when God created man and woman, he set them in a garden and he walked with them in, in, the, in the cool of that garden. He, he spent time with them. And, and the beauty of this created world. And he commanded them to, to spread that beauty out, to fill and subdue the earth, right? To cultivate the garden until it covered the earth. He gave them a job to do. He said, enjoy me and extend the beauty I've created. We were made to enjoy relationship with God. And we were made to extend his glory to the ends of the earth. So we were made to do. If we were ever going to be satisfied, it was going to be in, in our communion with God. 
and in our engagement in his purposes. And so when we look anywhere else, it's, it's fool's gold. It's a fool's errand. We must be satisfied in Jesus. And so how will we aim our lives so that we can see the glory that we're hungry for? How are we as a church going to start the work of, of aiming our lives toward Jesus so that he could do his work through us? This is what we must be doing. If, we, if we're a magnifying glass, if we're a telescope, my dad has a giant telescope in his backyard. It's just one of his hobbies. He likes to take pictures of the stars and the planets. And one of the one of the hardest parts about a, a telescope, if you work with them very much, is pointing them at the right object, because the you know everything's moving. Well, the Earth is moving, right? And and so the telescopes have to have a tracking device. It has to stay on the object so that it can move. So that the eyepiece moves with the the stars as they as they go uh, across the sky. So how will we aim our lives at Jesus? How do we keep our sights on Him? That we would magnify His glory and that we would extend His glory to the ends of the earth. The first thing is, don't look in the wrong places. Don't look in the wrong places. Don't aim your life at the wrong things. If, I, if, if, if we aim a telescope at the grass, it's not going to be much to see, right? Just blurry, green mess. So don't look in the wrong places. And, and some of the wrong places we can look at as a church is being um, a really cool church. Being a really unified church, even. Being really good at serving. Being really good at kids' ministry. Being really good at worship ministry. Having good preaching. Yeah, we'll see. Jason's going to be preaching a lot, so it'll be fine. Um, how are we going? That, that, that won't bring God glory if we just make it about us and what we're doing. So we want to be careful of that, not just to, to look at our religious scruples or our efforts, even, even the best intentioned efforts. If we just look to our activities as a church and not to God's activity as our creator and savior, um, we're going we're gonna to miss out. We're going we're gonna to miss the beauty of what he's doing. We could also look at other people, at being seen as a good or important or impressive person. And so we look for meaning and life and value in what other people think of us. Uh, this is a constant temptation. This is how we'll try to satisfy the hunger. This is eating air, right? There's never enough likes on Facebook or Instagram. There's never enough affirmation. There's not enough affirmation in the world to solve your God problem. I've heard had somebody tell me that one time, and, uh, and it cut to my heart. So constantly looking for affirmation from other people and, and, and failing to see that God has affirmed me in Christ. Living in the suburbs, we could also look at having a lot of stuff as being the place. If we, if we have the right house, have the right car, pay off the right credit card, you know, um, that we could be... Well, some of you are really wired to get a lot of stuff done. And so you, 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 you gauge how well you're doing in life on how much progress you're making on your to-do list. We got any of those people here? There's a couple. All right. I, I see you. I, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for 
thanks for working that in. Um, I know you got a lot going on. I mean, if it's you, like you got a lot, you got a lot to do. But but like having a lot of stuff done uh, is not ultimately satisfying because there's always going to be another job to do. There's always going to be something else coming up. Always another project to take on. And it's eating the air. Some of us are really concerned with being unique or different or creative. And so you start to think about, man, am I, uh, am, I, am I being authentically me? Am I really showing my, all, the, all the great things that I am to these people? Am I making my mark? Am I being uh, creative in a way that helps other people see that I'm not like everybody else? There's some creative people in the room, and I know that temptation. But it's, it's air. God is the ultimate creative, right? He's the unique one. And so we get to look to him as, as our creator and acknowledge that he is better. He's better. And we could go on about having all the answers, having the most security, having the most influence, uh, just having a peaceful life. And we'll find our safety, our meaning in forming whatever life we can and it's eating air and it won't satisfy you. So so where what will satisfy us? I think we know the answer to that. We've been singing songs about him. We've been we've been praying, reading scriptures about him, but it's Jesus. Jesus will satisfy us. He'll satisfy our our uh our desire to be connected to God. He'll desire He'll satisfy our desire to, to see God's work done through us. And I was reading through John, and John is just, if you want to like really understand this concept, I would just encourage you this week, read, read John. It's three chapters a day, you could read it in a week. You know, if you just want to read John, uh, even over this month, just read it, you know, a chapter a day, you could have the weekends off. Just read John and see, see Jesus. Um, as he is, but I was, I was really struck by John chapter 5, and I've never preached John chapter 5, and it's probably not a chapter you're very familiar with, but I want you to turn to John 5, and we're going to start in verse 19. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show that you may marvel. So, so first, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. He's saying, God is doing work through me. He's letting you see me so that you would marvel. So God is aligning the telescope, giving us a view of Jesus so that we would marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So, so saying, if you're not looking to Jesus, if you're not connecting to Jesus, absorbing the, the, the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, if you're not honoring Him with your attention, then you're not honoring the Father either. But He says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus is aiming at the marveling of his people, that they would honor and worship, that they would enjoy God, and that it would result in their eternal life, their resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is delivering real relationship with God, real connection with God, and real wonder and awe that would result in our worship, which is the work that we were made to do, is to worship him in, in the things that we feel and, and think and do. And so how will we keep our aim on Jesus? And he gives us four ways in John chapter 5, four ways to, to, to keep our sights on Jesus. And the first one is that he tells us to learn from faithful people as they point to Jesus. If we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, if we're going to magnify him, we need to learn, to learn from the faithful people around us as they point to Jesus. Jesus says in verse 31, he says, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, but there's another who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. And he's talking about John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He's kind of this crazy character. He would have liked what we're doing right now. He probably would have thought the AC was a bit much. Maybe he like wore camel's fur, had a big old beard, ate locusts, dipped in honey. Weird guy, but he spent his life pointing people to Jesus, getting the world ready for Jesus. And Jesus says, this guy bears witness about me. It's not the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you might be saved, that John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John spent his life saying, saying there is someone coming after me who I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then there's this moment, you know, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, and John locks eyes with Jesus across the river, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That there in that moment, John was bearing witness to Jesus. And if we would be a church that, that, that keeps our eyes on Jesus, we need to listen when people point us to Jesus. And we should be a church that constantly point one another to Jesus. That if we are a church where we can have meals, we can have gatherings, get-togethers, parties, and Jesus doesn't come up, something's wrong. We were made to bear witness about Him, not just for our own sake, not so that we look holy, but that you need to be told to look to Jesus. I need to be told to look to Jesus. And so if we're going to be a church that magnifies Jesus, we have to listen, to learn from one another as we point one another to Jesus. That's one way. As we learn from the faithful as we point one another to Jesus. Second, as we look to the works of Jesus. Verse 36, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Because John had been bearing witness. And they still wouldn't listen. They, they liked him for a little bit. He was fun to listen to, interesting. But he moved on, and, and, and he says, The testimony I have is even greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So if you want to see God, if you want to keep your eyes aimed at God, look at the work of Jesus. 
We get to look, we get to read through the pages of Scripture. We get to see that His compassion for the hurting. We get to see His His death on the cross for our sins. We get to see His victorious resurrection from the grave. We get to see Him reaching out to touch a leper, somebody who never would have been touched. We get to see Him pursuing a sinful uh, woman caught in the act of adultery. We get to see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. We get to see him standing on a hillside preaching about the kingdom, telling stories that help us to understand God's kingdom. And so if we want to keep our eyes aimed at the beauty and the glory of God so that our city could be changed and that we could be changed, we have to look at the work of Jesus. Look to the works of Jesus. And there's a third witness. In verse 37, it says, if you, uh, it says, listen to the Father, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, you have never heard. His form, you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. But we believe. And so we can hear the witness of the Father. When we draw near to God in prayer, when we come, when we spend time with the Father, just at night in the quiet, with your kids, with your spouse, that you draw near and say, God, would you bear witness? Would you remind me to keep my eyes focused on Jesus? That's what He sent the Spirit to do, is to remind us. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of adoption. And so God's Spirit helps move our hearts toward the Father. And if we would be a church who is, has our, our sights fixed on Jesus, it will be through prayerful communion with the Father. And we would spend time in prayer, that we would draw near to God, that we would listen to the Father as He tells us, whispers to our souls, Jesus is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And so we listen to the faithful people as they point us to Jesus. We look to the works of Jesus. We listen to the Father. And finally, we search the Scriptures as they bear witness to the Son. Verse 39 says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about Me. So if we would be a church that magnifies Jesus to, to, to one another and to our city, to our own sinful souls, then we have to be a people of the book. And God has given us His Word so that we could know Jesus. And we don't study the Scriptures so that we're the smartest guy in the room. We don't study the Scriptures so that we can prove other people wrong. We don't search the Scriptures because we think that if we have enough Bible memorized, that somehow God likes us more. We search the Scriptures because they point us to Jesus. And He is our only hope. Amen? Amen. Search the Scriptures. Aim your life in those four ways so that Jesus could be magnified to you and through you. Only when we face the Son, only when we look to Jesus can we see the glory of God. And so I want to, I want to encourage you. Verse 44 is a beautiful way that Jesus kind of 
encapsulates his argument. He says, how can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We, C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. Fooling around with sex and drink and ambition because we can't imagine what is meant when we are offered a holiday at the sea. Says we're far too easily pleased. We don't go where there's real satisfaction. We're over here chomping on air and God saying, I have a feast for you in Jesus. I have eternal life for you in Jesus. I have wonders beyond your imagination in Jesus. I have healing for your deep wounds. I have forgiveness for your darkest sins. I have a family and a father for you. I am the fountain of goodness and all delights. I am beauty personified. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's only in Jesus. If you'll notice, there's on your bulletin a telescope. And you're going to see this telescope a lot. We... If you were a part of Covenant before, this is a telescope. We, we've, we've been using this imagery for a while. And I want us to get familiar with this illustration because I, I found it helpful in my own life. Again, this, this sermon is about magnifying Jesus. And so here's, here are my convictions. Here's what I want you to think of when you see that telescope. Here's what God does. First, God shines his glory into the church through the gospel of Jesus. And when we do those four things, when we listen to other faithful people, when we look to the works of Jesus, when we listen to the voice of the Father, when we search the scriptures, when we aim our lives at Jesus, God's glory will be streaming into us as a church. And we will see his beauty in ways we never dreamed. And so that's the telescope. It's aimed at this beautiful object in the sky. And it's for our good. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have been given something in the gospel. You have seen something beautiful. You have been helped. You've been cleansed. You've been connected to God. Enjoy that. Bask in that. If we will start anywhere as a church, we have to start with our faces turned toward Jesus constantly. So that's the first. God shines his glory into the church through the gospel of Jesus. Secondly, God shines his gospel of Jesus into the world through the church. So imagine the city standing at the other end of that telescope, looking into the church to see what God is like. That as God is shining His glory into the church, God is shining His glory to our city through us. That if we want our city to see Jesus, it will be because we are looking at Him. Because we are living for Him. Because we are enjoying Him and working for Him. And Jesus said it this way, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. They shine this light so the world can see. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So God shines His glory into the church through the gospel of Jesus. God shines His glorious gospel of Jesus into the world through the church. And third, our ability to do this work is dependent on our experience of Christ's work. I'll say that again. Our ability to live as missionaries, to let our city see the gospel, is dependent on our experience of God's work for us. We will not get it right. We will not succeed on our own. Jesus had to succeed for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Only when we behold the beauty of Jesus, only from this posture of faith can we actually fulfill our function as image bearers of God. And here's really good news. You want to hear some great news? That one day, the glory of God will come to the earth. That, that there will be a new creation where Jesus, the, the dwelling place of God will be with man. No telescopes necessary. The mission will be accomplished. And we will watch with wonder as Jesus, the, the, the trumpets horse down the sky, be rolled back as a scroll. And God will make all things right. And He will make all things new. And the mission will be accomplished. And the church will be a family. Not just United Covenant Southway to be redemption, but, but just the church. One, finally, fully, in the presence of God as our Father. And to the world... We look like those lost boys eating out of empty dishes. Because <laughs> they don't see the food that we have. But God, through faith, has helped us to see that Christ is our true bread. He is our living water. And He has invited us to feast in His presence for all of eternity. And my prayer is that as our city gets to see what we're up to, as they drive by this tent and wonder what in the world is going on, that they would come to the table with us. That they would see God's glory shining through us. And that Christ would be magnified for every soul in Pearland. Let's pray.